0: This is an Equity Veats Media podcast. Allergy season? Grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Have a listen to this. Have a listen to this.
1: Now that kind of talk this week dragged Australia's share market to a
0: two-year low. There are of course complex
1: He was the big
0: spender. Right. The big spender doing Mr. the grocery 28. shopping can take a huge chunk out of the family budget, and that's finance. Hello and welcome to Comedian vs Economist, we demystify the world of money and help you get a handle on the bigger picture. My name's Adam and we're joined as always by my little older brother and real life economist Thomas, hi Thomas. Yeah, good Adam, how are you? I'm doing alright, it's fair to say. I was uh, sampling some of the produce and and delights of the Clare Valley wine region yesterday for a friend of mine's 50th birthday, so uh, a little shady today. But we'll power on. Uh, We'll power on because we have got a big show coming up. Uh, ScoMo's on tour. Scotty from marketing. He's at uh, COP26 talking climate action. COP, of course, being the conference of the parties, which explains why it's still going. It's just one party after another. Uh, Elon Musk, entrepreneur and richest man in the world, can do a lot of things, Thomas. But can he end world hunger? We're going to find out. And apparently 3% of people in the finance sector are psychopaths. Meanwhile, amazingly, a whopping 83% of psychopaths are actually office workers named Karen. Uh, But first, ComBank has taken the plunge into the murky waters of crypto. Thomas, does this mean mum and dad can finally buy some Doge? (laughs) Uh, no, no. So,
1: CBA is is offering crypto on their banking app now, so you can you can buy ten cryptocurrencies, right. uh, including Bitcoin, Ethereum, Bitcoin Cash, and Litecoin. Uh, but it's a closed loop system, so you can't buy on other exchanges and then bring it into your app. So you've got to you've got to buy through the app itself. Um, right. And then store it there. So, yeah, so it's a closed-loop system. But they're, yeah, so they're offering it to their customers, saying that their customers are increasingly asking for it, There's strong demand that they've seen. Mm. And so they're going to do it. They've teamed up with Gemini, which is a New York-based firm run by the Winklevoss twins. Who ah, are, yes. Yeah, crypt- crypto
0: celebrities. They, they, they invented Facebook, didn't they? That was their claim to fame initially. Mm-hmm. Mm. And then Zuckerberg stole it. And turned yeah. into billions of dollars, That's then the renamed legend. it. He's called it Meta now. Mm, yeah. um, but they went off and just made billions anyway. Yeah, doing, they did. Uh,
1: yeah, crypto. They, they turned out all right. Mm. Yeah, so paired, they so they paired up with them. Um, they so they run an exchange and custodian service. Have te- teamed up with blockchain analysis firm Chainalysis, um, which sort of provides a lot of sort of the regulatory stuff that they need to do to to be able to off- make this offering. Yeah, so they've paired up with with those guys, um, yeah, offering it to their customers. So, yeah, strong strong play from CBA, I reckon. It's a bit of a flex, like mm. it, they're, they're the first big bank to offer it. And I think one of, one of the things I've seen the, in the the reporting of it is saying it's it's a good strong play for them because crypto is just cool, right? Like it's cool right now. Mm. It's something young people are into. And so there's this big branding power in this by just going like, yeah, yeah, we're down with crypto. You can get crypto mm. through the app.
0: Doesn't that come with risk though? Because, because the crypto space is, is famous for being so volatile. Like mm. if, if it all goes pear-shaped, if ComBank start offering crypto and going, yeah, we're cool, we're hip with the kids <laughs> and all the mm. kids lose like 80% of their house deposit, <laughs> mm. then that's not going to reflect too well on, on CBA, is it?
1: Yeah, it's not really CBA's problem, I don't think.
0: <laughs> well, that's a bit
1: rich. Well, no, I mean, apparently when you when you go to purchase crypto, there there is a, a little notification that comes up that reminds you that crypto is a risky asset to be investing in. Right. Apparently, so that's so that's how CBA is covering themselves there. Next, next, next,
0: finish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. skip whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to buy crypto. Yeah. Mute notifications. We all read. We all read those notifications, don't we? You know, we, like the end user license agreement. Just yeah, study it in depth. <laughs> yeah, but I think it's
1: not. It's not. It's not CBA's problem, and I think CBA know that if they, if they don't offer it to their clients, their clients will just go and do it somewhere else because it's not that hard. Like I'm kind of surprised, as you know, you and I both seasoned crypto investors. <laughs> yes. Like. It's a bit lame in the sense of you just have access to ten coins and that's that's it. It mm. doesn't go very far. And given how hard it is to go and register with an exchange, let alone set up your own wallet or anything, it's not particularly hard. So it, it's a, it's a pretty you know entry level offering. But I think they needed to do it because they they would know that you know the demands there and people would leave them um to to set up somewhere else so this allows them to hold on to their customer base a little longer
0: but no they no they wouldn't i wouldn't leave my bank where my home loan is because they didn't offer me crypto like i look at it like a sports betting account (laughs) that's i don't want i don't want combag offering me odds on the fifth race at dapto like (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's yeah. you know that's that's where i place crypto and maybe that's changing and maybe this is a recognition of it changing but to me crypto to now and maybe it's also my investment philosophy around crypto is i'm not i'm not even like in on bitcoin i'm looking more down you than your shit coin end of the spectrum <laughs> for those big gains mm. so maybe it is that by by limiting it to the top 10 or whatever it is and saying mm. you know what these are in a you know in the wild west these are the safest ones you know relatively speaking but i don't know i'm not I, yeah i don't really buy that, I, that anyone's leaving combank because they're they can't buy their crypto there
1: not not leaving combank but like leaving the combank ecosystem is like they want to hold they want to be the home of people's finance like they want right. to offer in like full solution it's like it's retail it's everyday banking it's insurance it's it's uh, wealth management all of that sort of thing and so crypto is part of that ecosystem and so as much as possible cba wants to own an entire the entire ecosystem for each of their customers as much as possible Mm. Uh, and and i think that's the idea and that's that's the motivation driving it Mm. i think i think i think the interesting the interesting thing for me is like a lot of people particularly in the crypto community that i'm reading talk about how this legitimizes crypto and and I don't, I don't think that's the case because CBA has no skin in the game here. You know, like they're, they're not up for losing any money. They're not investing their own assets in, in mm. crypto. They're just off making it available to their, to their, to their customers. I, f- I, feel like, I feel like the analogy here is like if you bought a plane ticket to Afghanistan mm. and you bought it and then you go, well, Qantas is willing to fly me to Afghanistan. Therefore, Qantas thinks Afghanistan is safe. And a good place mm. to live in, but that's not what Qantas thinks. Qantas thinks that they can take your money and fly you to Afghanistan <laughs> and not get shot down, like, And that's that's all of that that's all that that implies that they mm. can drop you off and get out of there before before they get burnt. And so that's what I think think it is. I think I think it is true that it is pointing to a growing demand base at the retail level for crypto mm. investments. But I don't know. That, I don't think it's the big institutional tick of approval that a lot of people are hyping it up as.
0: We, we actually had an email this week from, and apologies if I get the pronunciation wrong, it's Tom, but it's spelled <laughs> T-O-M-E. So before, before you, hang any, you hang me out there, but, um, but he was sort of asking the same thing. He's saying like, is this, you know, CBA getting into it, they're, they're kind of going into it without carrying any of the risk, so mm. so they're able to offer these products without carrying any of the risk. And I think a lot of the trading platforms really do that, don't they? They're essentially mm. offering you a way into the market, but without carrying the risk. Like they're not mm. they're not holding anything, are they? No. I mean, CBA is not holding anything in this instance. No. You, you're just they're just the vehicle with through which you can. Buy some crypto, but yeah. then I also read a quote the other day that said, it's, "If it's not your wallet, it's not your crypto." So where does it sit? Uh, yeah, with I mean, with Gemini, I think.
1: So they just right. give you yeah. So it's on uh, well, the part of, part of the thing is there's know your customer regulations mm. on the banks. So you, the banks to prevent money laundering, they have to know where the money is and who who owns it. And so mm. there's there's zero privacy around your ownership of crypto through CBA's banking app. Which is kind of interesting because that's often touted as the big selling point of Bitcoin is that it's completely anonymous and no one has any idea who owns what. But mm. CBA has a ledger of what you own in terms of crypt- in terms of your crypto holdings.
0: So you, and you can't transfer it out to your own to like a cold storage wallet. No, something no, like that. No, that's not part of the deal, deal. Part of what you sign up for. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which I don't exactly. imagine. You know, I don't imagine there's too many boomers. <laughs> Making <laughs> through cba dipping their toe in the in the cryptosphere and immediately going well this is all well well and good but i'd really like to offload this into my cold storage wallet <laughs> in the
1: refrigerator down in the shed
0: do you reckon this is the start will, will we be able to buy things that like can you shop at woolies with crypto soon like is this once it becomes mainstream can you will they link it to your debit cards and start using it in that way I still think that's a fair way
1: off. Like you can't, you can't purchase anything with with this. This is this is purely an investment. And Mac, and they asked Matt Common whether he thought uh, Bitcoin was an investment, a speculative investment, like an is it an asset class or is it a is it a currency? And he danced around. <laughs> or that is it quest. a lotto ticket? <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: and he, he didn't really want to be drawn on that question. But yeah, but you can't, you can't purchase anything. With, with this. It's, it's, it sits in the, in the mm. app and you, you can't use it to, you know, go buy anything.
0: All investment's speculative to a degree though, isn't it? Like we're just talking degrees of speculation. You're, you're speculating on the fact that it's going to go up. That's-
1: uh, yeah, to an extent. I mean, yeah, traditionally like you, you might draw a distinction between investing is something that pays a return, that has mm. some sort of yield. So like you, you invest in a company – you get a share of the profits and that's what you're investing in theoretically. Mm. Like, you know, mostly you, you, you're you buying because you want the value of your companies to go up. But you're investing, in theory, you're investing because you want a share of those that company's profits. Mm. When it comes to currencies and not just blockchain, but like Bitcoin, but all currencies, you, there's no yield, there's no return from owning Aussie dollars, US dollars, Bitcoin, whatever, and so as an investment vehicle, it's purely speculative. It's in the sense I'm just buying because I think it's going to be worth more when I want to sell it.
0: Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah I get it. If that's, that, if that's the definition of speculative, mm. you're, just, you're buying hoping that it goes up rather than buying to own. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of – yeah, and that's not to say all oh, share investing is not speculative,
0: but yeah, – No, because- all of mine is, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <wow. laughs> Right, Thomas, it's all over the news at the moment, uh, the conference of the parties, COP26 happening in Glasgow, everyone's talking climate change, climate action. Mm. Uh, ScoMo's over there, what's, what's he brought to the table?
1: A oh, big win for Australia, big win. Mm. Uh, yeah, we're committed to do net zero, really, going to do very little. <laughs> uh, that was a big win, he really brought that home. Uh, yeah, a little Aussie battlers punching above its weight in terms of mm. uh, the war on the environment. So, yeah, big win. We did have the Australian stall. Apparently, was splashed with the branding of Santos, uh, big gas producer.
0: <laughs> Climate action brought to you by Santos.
1: Yeah, yeah. Is that what it was? Yeah, yes. No, and they they were touting the uh, carbon carbon capture technology mm. um, as uh, saying this is this is Australia's contribution to.
0: It's cutting edge. It's cutting edge technology, isn't it? Yeah, it well, was. So it's cutting so... edge it hasn't been invented yet. <laughs> no, it
1: hasn't. No, yeah, it's it's a distant future. Like he's a visionary, Scott Morrison. He's looking way into the future and pinning yeah. all of our contribution to saving the planet on this fictional technology that's going mm. to be delivered by some of the companies that just happen to be big financial backers of the coalition, just as right. it happens. Mm. But yeah, but carbon ca- carbon capture technology... Doesn't really work yet. We did, did have an announcement through the week, actually, that, um, that Gorgon uh, has spent $3 billion to – is run by Chevron um, up in WA, I think it is. They're running a carbon capture process up there, and it has sequestered 5 million tonnes of carbon dioxide. Well, that's good. Um, yeah, well, it was supposed to do 40. So. Wow. It's a little it's a bit start. of a miss. It's a start. Yeah. <laughs> it's a start. Significant milestone was Chevron's words. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. But they're now having to you go. You can't
0: back. get 40 without five first, can you? That's so it. we're, we're on the way. It's in the bank. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> All right. yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah. Hanging the hat on that, selling that to the world. Mm. I mean, kind of the funny thing here as as an economist looking at this is you had the carbon tax right so so Gillard brought in the carbon tax and this was widely seen in economics a carbon tax is seen as a pretty or a carbon price it kind of works out being the same thing uh as seen as a good way to do things because you set the price and then the market decides how it's going to meet that meet those targets and you, you create market incentives, and and with that incentive process, the it it brings together your most efficient uh, solutions. It brings them to the fore and promotes those.
0: How does it do that, though? It, it, does it do that by so it puts a price on carbon? Mm. Is that, is that yeah. what it does? It puts yeah, a price yeah. on carbon, and then it gets what more expensive the more you know. How is how is the price calculated? How is it?
1: Uh, it's just it's just set. So like if you if you're gonna if you're gonna uh, emit carbon, then you have to pay a price depending on how much carbon you're emitting, and the price right. is set by the government. But because because but then that creates a financial incentive. So if you're a, a polluter in that sense, you need to you need to reduce reduce. The more you reduce, the more you save. And then you're going right. to go to, and then
0: that creates so incentives. It's not the opposite where you get discounts if you buy more.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no,
0: no. <laughs> <laughs> buy in bulk and save on your carbon yeah.
1: price. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so that so it creates that incentives. And then the solution is just whatever's going to be most cost effective. And so you end up with more cost effective solutions because it's driven by the market. And that's what, right. in, in economic theory, that's what the market does very well is it, it, it allocates resources efficiently to their best use. And it does that naturally without having to get all hands-on in it and kind of figure it out manually. The market just takes care of that. Like it is able – the market as a system is able to process a lot of complex information because there's a lot of people looking at it and the price me- the price as a mechanism transmits that information through the system very quickly and very effectively.
0: What's a, what's a practical analogy that people would understand? Like – like a, another kind of, and when I say people, me, but <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, like the price of petrol, the price of something where, like I'm struggling to relate um, the the carbon price and how that's how that's just magically maintained and, and updated by the market. Uh,
1: the The price is set. The price is set by the government, right? Um, but then. That, once that, that creates an incentive in the market systems for people to meet that, to respond to that. Like it, it creates a cost around, that's why they call it a carbon price. It creates a cost around carbon that now yeah. people want to avoid that cost.
0: Right. So, yeah, okay. So the market's not dictating the price in any way. They're not, they're not, it's not adjusting the price based on what's happening in the market in the no. way that, that supply and demand works. When you've got, if there's a lot more demand, the price goes up and then vice versa. Yeah, the price yeah. is just a flat price that's set and the market then just goes, well, we've got to sort out, sort out our, our backyard so that we're not having to pay it.
1: Yeah, that's right. That's right. It introduces a cost into the system and then that – because at the moment you can emit carbon and you don't have to pay for it. Mm. But now that intru- introduces a cost into the system and then that incentivizes firms to avoid that cost um, yeah. and to do that in the most cost-efficient way. All right. And that's that sort of – yeah, so that's sort of how it works. And that's why, yeah. So in terms of economic theory, in term, like economists like carbon prices, like that's mm. you know seen as the most e- efficient way to do it, and that's pretty global sort of thing. But, but yeah. So that became the carbon tax, and then that became Labour's tax and Labour's big tax agenda. And then Abbott got elected, and he killed the carbon tax, and mostly not because he was really ideological against it, but because Labor had come up with it, and well, yeah, and he's in the pocket of. The fossil fuel industry, and so they shut that down and went to direct action. So in that system, they just they're funding people to not pollute and paying paying to do it.
0: Well, that that seems more open to potential sort of. Well, <laughs> yeah. Well, if we're starting to pay people to do things, like so, we're pa- we're talking about paying mm. corporations to to reduce their emissions. Mm. I feel like there's. We're then flipping the accountability for how the money's spent over to the corporations. And they may or may not be using the money to do that. They might go, well, we'll put, we'll put half of what you gave us towards carbon yeah, reduction yeah, yeah. and we'll put the other half into this thing we want to build.
1: Yeah, a, yeah, economists don't like direct action. No, right. there's not, not much to like about it. It's seen that the government's got to be picking winners. It's, it's a lot of administration. They've got to monitor it. They've got to, they've got to have... A, integrity to make sure that the companies are doing what they're saying it's not it's not really seen as a winner yeah so they went i mean but the other thing you think about it is that a carbon price or a carbon tax puts the price on the polluters so they've got to pay it the tax falls on the polluters and then we all benefit with direct mm. action the government's paying for it through taxation revenue on households so we've yeah. now reversed that flow so households are now paying money to corporations to stop polluting which is Mm. also a little bit like that's not a great outcome (laughs)
0: No,
1: but it gets worse because we've now gone to direct action where we're now paying companies like santos so santos just got a um a grant yeah funding on a controversial government scheme that pays companies lower emissions for more carbon capture technology so we're now taxing households to pay corporations for technology that at the moment, doesn't actually work,
0: right? Mm. Yeah, it's not good, is it?
1: It's a bit lame. It's a bit That's... in the middle of a climate crisis. It's a bit lame, mm. and and it's and it's sort of like I don't know. The thing that I do find this personally quite frustrating is that you know we often talk about coalition being being the the political party of business, but it's not of business in general. It's not of free markets because this is the exact opposite of what free market economists would tell you to do. It's the company of particular businesses, and the businesses are paying their donations. So, yeah, it's 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 yeah, it's a, it's grim. Like I'll be honest, there's not a lot not a lot of joy in this story for me.
0: Right, and so so this is the solution that we've taken to to the the COP twenty six. Yeah, how was it received? Uh, Do you know? Derision, well, I ex- think. <laughs> <we're-> <laughs> <laughs> Other countries are just like, wow, you must have some very wealthy citizens.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I don't. I don't think there's a lot of respect for Australia in the world stage
0: right now. But I don't know. Yeah, you, yeah. Well, you wait though. When that technology comes in, yeah, then they'll all come begging to Australia for our our patents and our, our yeah. So let give
1: you just and we one more stat. So the UN reckons we need to remove 17 billion tonnes of carbon every year, mm-hmm. 17 billion tonnes. Yeah. Uh, your average power station like Liddell, Liddell produces 6 million tonnes a year. Mm. All of the current carbon capture schemes in the world, all together right now, save 9,000 tonnes. A year? A year. Or well, that's think, just, is a that, year. that
0: to yeah. date? <laughs> to date. It might be to date. <laughs> <laughs> Tons captured since inception. Yeah, yeah, we just yeah. ticked over 9,000. It's a milestone. milestone, yeah. <laughs> so it's not
1: even yeah. a fraction of a single power station.
0: Well, it's early days, Thomas. It's early, early days. days yeah, when, yeah. You know, when, self, when electric cars first came out, they couldn't, they couldn't make it to the end of the driveway. <laughs> <laughs> now you can get all the way around the all the way around the block and so <laughs> no but you're right it does seem a long way off i'm sure it's scomo's got it under control it's in safe mm-hmm. hands all right let's take a quick break there we'll grab a word from this week's sponsors and be back with more comedian versus economist right after this
1: ready to pop the question
0: Welcome back here on Comedian versus Economist. Don't forget to check us out on Facebook and Instagram at CVE Podcast. Or we'd love it if you sent us an email, cve at equitymates.com or via the website, equitymates.com forward slash CVE. And in fact, Ariel sent us a message uh, via email. And she was asking about Elon Musk's, she wanted to get our thoughts, probably your thoughts mostly, Thomas, it's fair to say, on Elon Musk's comments about ending world hunger. so I don't know, you would have seen this during the week. Um, the head of the World Food Program said there was a headline that read that we can end world hunger with $6 billion, which is only 2% of Elon Musk's wealth. And Elon said, I'll give you $6 billion if you can prove how it will work. And then the World Food Program guy was like, well, it won't work, but can we have $6 billion anyway, please? <laughs> and then just pause, <laughs> <laughs> and Elon Musk has left the conversation. So um, what did you make of it? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's right. I mean, to be
1: fair to, to the, so the, the World Food Programme won the 2020 Nobel Peace Prize because it's ending mm. felt hunger, particularly it was, it's been waging a campaign to stop the use of hunger as a weapon of war. So doing some good work. And so the, the, head, the head is David Beasley. He, he, got, he did an article, he did an interview somewhere. Um, and basically they're saying they're 6 billion short of their, their fundraising target, without which 42 million people are gonna die you know, by the, right. on their estimates. And he's saying, look, that's only you know, 2% of Elon Musk's wealth. He could, maybe he could chip in. And then they, they turned that into a headline, which is Musk could solve world hunger with 6 billion. Which wasn't actually the point he was making, and Musk was like, oh, "Well, if I can do that, you show me how, and I'll give you six billion." And he's like, "Well, okay, so that's not actually what I said. Uh, won't solve world hunger, but it will prevent geopolitical instability, mass migration, and save forty-two million people on the brink of starvation."
0: Not enough, said Elon. <laughs> not good enough. <laughs> no. Well, it's, it's ending world hunger with my six billion, or it's nothing. I don't want any of your geopolitical stabilization. <laughs> <laughs> right. No,
1: yeah. Well, I mean, the funny. So, the we. I don't know. So, this. I was following this conversation up today to see where it mm. went. Um. So yeah. So David Beasley said this. Said, "Let's talk. I'll fly to you if you want. It's not as complicated as Falcon Heavy, which is which is one of SpaceX's heavy heavy space launch vehicles. Mm. Uh, but there's too much at stake to not have a conversation. I'll be, I can be on the next flight to you. Throw me out if you don't like what I have to hear. Musk then, at some point, changed his uh, Twitter handle to Lord Edge, and <laughs> had his account suspended. What? So we, yeah. So we haven't we haven't his, his account suspended. So we haven't heard from him uh, since
0: then. That explains why there hasn't been a lot of movement in Doge recently either. Uh, yes, yeah, yeah. Right. Is it still suspended? Is is Elon Musk's account genuinely suspended? That's I don't what, know what
1: that's, that's I what it, that's what I, when I was on Twitter today, that's what it was telling me. Really? Mm. Yeah. I, I mean, don't know yeah. what for. Didn't didn't tell me what for. But.
0: I, did, I, did. <laughs> I don't know. Did you ask? <laughs> did you let them know who you were? Yeah.
1: <laughs> oh, sure. oh, I'm recording tonight. Can you just?
0: <laughs> yeah. I really want to be current on this. <laughs> right. Yeah. So. Yeah,
1: ending ending world hunger isn't as simple as just giving people lots of food because. The, as as the wfb notes that it's the conflict is one of the biggest sources of famine and so mm. the, the big flashpoints for famine right now are yemen south sudan nigeria afghanistan um yeah so the conflict hot points So there, there that's where you're likely to have have people fall into famine and so that's not so much a question of like once you, once you've got conflict then getting food to people becomes a real challenge regardless of the economics That said, we're also in the like we're also in the middle of the COVID crisis, which has created a whole bunch of of problems as well. I was talking to a mate of mine, which I can't mention his name because he's an actual economist and doesn't want to be associated with hacks like us. Um, (laughs) We'll get him on the show. Yeah, should
0: blur out his face. (laughs) Put a
1: filter on his voice. Yeah, but no, so you say like there's – energy costs are up, so that that feeds into food prices. But one of the weird things about it is that there's now biofuels is being seen as a sustainable energy, but biofuels are run on things like corn and things like that. And so poor people in the world are now competing with biofuel companies for for basic grains and things like this. Right. Which is a a real challenge. And – the other thing is that yeah that, that not only are poor people in developing countries competing with biofuel companies they're also competing with cows that a lot of grain and and world food food goes to f- feeding cows in the developing world and because the devets are in the developed world and the developed world loves their cows so much that yeah they're willing to pay a good price for it so they're getting outbid by by cattle farms so this, this is sort of some of the challenges that that the un's worried about right now and, and it's looking at it's potentially going to be quite a quite a challenging year china there's a bloomberg was running a story saying that china is uh warning people to stock up on food because they're worried about what's going to happen coming into winter
0: that's a desperately sad situation that people are going hungry so that we can feed cows so yeah. that we can eat them that's that's pretty horrific when you put it in those terms
1: yeah, it is. It's, yeah, that's that's not humanity winning.
0: No, nah, it makes think. me feel very guilty about my lunch at the, in the Clare Valley yesterday. Yeah. Delicious as it was. <laughs>
1: that's right. I mean, inequality is pretty brutal, and I think, like, you don't often realize this living in Australia, like, we, you know, how just how wealthy and lucky we are. Yeah, we. the rest of the world is nowhere near as lucky as we are.
0: So, yeah. I mean, the other thing it highlighted to me was just the, the enormous wealth that someone like Elon Musk has. Like He's the richest mm-hmm. man in the world now by like a country mile. I think he's, mm-hmm. he's like richer than the next two guys put together and those guys are pretty stingy. <laughs> 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 so, yeah, it's kind of the fact that he, that he could potentially even come close to making a significant contribution with 2% of, of the wealth Mm. And releasing six billion onto the world to make even even like a big dent in a problem like world hunger, Mm. just kind of says to me like so we pay fifty bucks a month um, to World Vision, right? Mm. That's that's one of the things that we do to to give, Um, and here's here's Elon Musk, (laughs) 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 like. With the ability, whether he chooses to or not, but he's got the ability potentially to pay six billion dollars. So mm. it kind of makes a bit of a mockery of the rest of us who are like, "Well, here's fifty dollars, like a little bit here, a little bit there." When someone like that could just go, "You know what?" In fact, if we all get, if we really sort of get behind it, then if he actually did pay, we could all get our fifty bucks a month back. back? Yeah, because right. then it'll be fixed.
1: Yeah, that's right. I mean. The the irony is that for me it's like you know it's it's galling to see like the UN trying to bail up billionaires to get them to chip in and save forty two million people from dying, like mm. that's a pretty that's a pretty horrible outcome. But it's also the system that creates billionaires is the same system that is taking food from the developing world to feed cows in the developed world. That's sort mm. of that's how a capitalist system works and. You know, the reason why we, there is still world hunger, you know, conflict is a story, yes, but like a lot of that conflict comes from the way resource-rich countries have been shafted by by colonial countries. So there's there's a sort of systemic kind of picture here that, I don't know, maybe it's sort of coming more into the fore and kind of see like, yeah, the world that gives us billionaires also gives us 42 million people on the brink of starvation.
0: Interesting. In fact, Ariel... Um, we can just finish with this just super quick question that she had here. What would a realistic What would a realistic roadmap out of world hunger look like, economically and logistically? Thomas, have you got a quick answer? To that? <laughs> uh, bumpy. I think <laughs> quick answer to that. <laughs> yeah, it's complicated. All right, quick one to finish, Thomas. And there was a headline that caught my eye this week. One of the articles that you share with me that said that. Three percent of people in the financial sector are psychopaths. Mm. Uh, what kind of what kind of detailed in depth research went into this statistic? Uh, I think it was just a survey. People self nominated. <laughs> <So. laughs> <laughs> Publicity opportunity. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. I don't mind being to referred five. to as a <laughs> as a psychopath if it gets me in the AFR. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah.
1: No, they were interviewing uh, this guy, Manfred Ketz-DeViers, who's um, a mm. leading leadership expert. He was a trained economist and then got into psychotherapy and then now teaches leadership. Wrote seven books in 2020, apparently. He's a, seven he, books in yeah. in one year? Mm. Yeah, he's <sighs> a machine. Or they're not very good. Or they're not very good. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Who knows? I mean, I didn't write any. Yeah. <laughs> so I shouldn't <laughs> slag him off too much. But I feel like if you're pumping out that kind of quantity, there, there's got to be some sort of some yeah, compromise yeah. on quality. Yeah, you find a formula. It's like Enid
1: Blyton who wrote Famous Five and Magic Faraway Tree. She wrote 200 books.
0: Whoa. You're like yeah. slagging off Enid Blyton. One of, <laughs> <laughs> she was no. one, of the, one of the greatest children's authors of all time. Yeah, yeah. But she, that's what I'm saying. She had, she found a
1: formula, made it work. Just right. Just churned yeah. it out. And I, I reckon Kets DeVries is doing the same thing. But yeah, they're, they're asking him about, yeah, just a general leadership question. And he's like, well, you reckon 1% of the population are psychopaths. In the financial sector, it's probably
0: 3%. Probably 3%. Pro- yeah. So- Jeez, this is, this is falling apart pretty quickly. <laughs> Yeah. Is, this, is, this, is this an excerpt from one of his one of his, his book, yeah. <laughs> one of his books? <laughs> it's probably three percent. Probably three percent. You know, what do you base that on, Manfred? Nah, that's just a hunch. Yeah. I mean this is a guy who's had to work with financial
1: sector CEOs. So I mean it's based on right. You know, it's something basically he's just slagging off the people he's had to work with. Oh. I don't want to work with the fi- in the finance sector. They're all psychopaths.
0: I mean, I imagine there's a lot of... Like, I think there are a lot of traits that that would serve you well in those kind of high-pressure roles. You know, like, as a, the psychopaths are typically kind of narcissistic sort of, you know, um, self-promoters, aren't they? Like... I think so. I don't know. So I think you'd have to have a, be a little bit of a a little bit of psychopath to <laughs> just have a little touch.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, it's an interesting question. Where does psychopath end and go-getter begin? <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you'd really love it if your boss described you as a real go-getter. But if someone asked you, "Is he going for your next job?" and you put your old boss down as a reference, if your boss said, "Well, he was a bit of a psychopath," to be honest, yeah. I don't think you're getting that. I don't think you're getting that next job. I actually did. Um, I did. A, I had a quick look on. On did some searching. It was part of my research, my in-depth research. The top ten jobs, Thomas, where mm. you're most likely to find psychopaths. Oh, number yeah. 10 is a civil servant, so in the public service. Probably not, mm-hmm. no, great, no, no great surprise. Um, chefs came in at number nine. Oh, yeah. of course. <laughs> They're under a lot of pressure. <laughs> they are. But I, I, that's a bad combination, like psychopaths with access to lots of sharp knives. Um, <laughs> a clergy person came in at number eight. Didn't strike me as someone under a lot of pressure or, or in need of, of shameless self-promotion. Uh, police officers apparently attract that, those traits as well. Uh, journalists was at number six. Surgeons was at number five. Surgeons? Yeah, Whoa. surgeons. I don't know. Just that maybe it's like a power trip of opening someone up. I don't know. Number four was salespeople. Hmm. Number three was media, so TV and radio presenters. I presume that doesn't extend to your average podcast host. <laughs> number two was lawyers. And then, number one, the number one uh, profession attracting psychopaths apparently is CEOs, which to me is just really broad. Like, you just start a company and call yourself a CEO, which I guess if you do that, maybe you've got psychopathic tendencies. Bryce and Al are um, CEOs of Equity Mates. It's true. Equity yeah. Mates. <laughs> I always knew it. They come across as such nice guys, but deep yeah. down. Yeah. Um, but if you're looking at the other end of the spectrum, then the jobs with the least psychopaths. Number 10 was accountants. Number nine, interestingly, was doctors. So if you go and see a doctor, then you're not likely to find a psychopath until you get referred by the doctor to the surgeon. (laughs) 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 Yeah. Number nine, creative artist. Number seven was a teacher. Six, charity worker. Number five, a beautician or stylist. That one surprised me a little bit. I don't know why. I think... Yeah. Number four, craftsperson. Number mm-hmm. three, therapist. Two, nurse. And number one, a care aide. So a lot of the sort of more caring type supportive roles. I think if, if you line that up against income for those professions,
1: I think there's a pretty tight correlation. Mm. It seems like, which I think gets to the point about a go-getter, you know, like like a lot of psychopathic tendencies do you very well in our economy. Putting, putting, putting yourself above others, self-promotion, using others to your own ends—I don't know what defines a psychopath, but like they're the kind of things that get your head and get you into those high-paying roles. Like I mm-hmm. think we, have, I think we've got a system that funnels psychopaths <laughs> that to the top,
0: encourages them.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think I know where we're going wrong. <laughs> God, this has been a cheery show this week, hasn't, hasn't it? it? <laughs>
0: yeah, we've, we've. We've, we've covered world hunger and why why this the capitalist society is no good. Climate crisis, why that can't be fixed. <laughs> why that can't be fixed. And it all boils down to the fact that it, everything's run by psychopaths. All right. Well, good, uh, good to have you along again, as always, on Comedian versus Economist. hope you've enjoyed the episode. Don't forget lots of other great shows across Equity Mates Media, Equity Mates Investing Podcast, Get Started Investing, You're in Good Company, Talk Money to Me by all means, send us an email, cve at equitymates.com or on the website, equitymates.com forward slash CVE or join us on Instagram and Facebook at CVE Podcast. Uh, oh, don't forget too, there's Crypto Curious, which I think is starting this week. The feed is definitely live, so go and get that if you're into into crypto and maybe wanting to find out uh, more about what ComBank's doing. I'm sure they will be all across that. So, yeah, as I say, thank you very much for joining us. Thomas, thank you for joining me once again. Thank you. And we will... Talk to you all next week. Bye.
1: Comedian vs. Economist is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of Comedian vs. Economist are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast.